0: Hey guys, welcome to the Money and Investing Show. And this week we're into the area of emotional control how we determine the mechanics of trading versus the emotions that sit behind it. A lot of people don't want to get into trading psychology because their view is that it's way too woo woo for them and isn't that important. Just show me the support and resistance. When you go through this broadcast, you realize that the two are just as important. I'll give you five pitfalls to avoid and three action steps to ensure from a practical perspective that you stay on track and kick the investment goals that you truly deserve. Before forward to seeing on the show. Hey there guys, welcome to the Money & Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always my faithful companion and co-host, Mr. Mitchell Laurentiis. Faithful I
1: am, Mr. Baxter, how are you? Very well, sir. That's good. Now, I've probably got the most interesting topic we've talked about ever on any broadcast it's Cool. and that is, I know it is, but I'm serious about this as content director, you know, I love thinking about fresh ideas. Now, we're going to take a step back from trading and hard-nosed stuff. We're going to go into a little bit of how to separate your emotions from your trading, mm. a tough one that many people make the mistake of doing. Indeed, indeed. Now, I know we could go anywhere with this and it's quite loose, <laughs> but what I want to start off is, is why most traders think about purely trading as mechanics. Good
0: point. So you know, we do a lot of work in the trading and education space, and most people, when they want to learn to trade or learn to invest more successfully, they go on this quest, whether it's books or a program or, or a more structured um, mentoring system that we operate. Most of what they want to focus on is the mechanics. How do I buy shares? How do I decide on the right shares? How do I hit the go button? Uh, why that share versus another share and so on and so forth, all of which are very, very important, and they're in the mechanical camp. But if you haven't at the same time built your skill set up on the emotional control or let's call it trading psychology side of things Uh, and trading psychology is not some sort of woo-woo area it's critically important because it's going to affect how you apply the mechanical side I'll, I'll give you a really simple example thinking about this now think about driving your car you know you kind of get in put your seatbelt on turn the thing on depending whether it's a manual or automatic put your indicator on pull off Drive down the street. Pretty straightforward. That's all the mechanical stuff when you learn to drive that you get taught. Mechanics, tick the box, happy days. But let's change the situational context of this. I'm gonna have fun with this right now. Okay. Um, you've just had a massive fight with your partner. I mean, an absolute bell ringer. It's emotional, things were thrown, words were said, and you go storming out of the place in a huff. And you go get in your car. Now, chances are you're gonna get in your car, you're gonna slam the door you're going to go turn it on, you're going to go screeching off at high revs, probably carve somebody up at the lights because you're angry and you've got all this emotion running. Now, you've been taught how to drive on the mechanical basis, just like everybody else has, but as soon as there's a heightened state of emotion involved, all of that training goes out of the window and you're just this angry person honking on the horn and carving in and out of lanes and probably going to end up having an accident. Same thing's true with trading. You know
1: what? I'm absolutely boiling right now thinking about this <laughs> because it's so true and it makes so much sense because you get in that car and all of a sudden it's not about driving the car you're thinking about things and you're angry and you're doing things you just wouldn't normally do now when you place your first trade as, a, as, a, as just a really basic example you know, when you place your first trade you, you know your heart rate's going the sweat coming out of your palms there's skin in the game there's real money being pushed And managing that through your whole trading career as things get a little bit more advanced or position sizes increase is paramount.
0: Mm. You've got to have that ability to detach yourself from emotionally and drive the car in the mechanical way that you were taught and trading as I say is the same. So yeah, a good example of that would be let's just say you've had a a bad loss on trade and you've got to get back on the horse but that emotion of thinking, okay, I've just lost and it doesn't matter what the number is, whether it's $200 or $200,000 people have got to work hard for their money and it means something to somebody. So what are you bringing to that next decision? It's like, ah, oh, gee, I've just busted two grand on that last trade. This stupid market's going against me. bidding it back in and try and make it back. Uh, Bet this one doesn't work either. And, and all of that language and all of that emotion that's brought to the equation, do you actually think you're presenting the best version of you at that decision? Absolutely not. When to do it? And, and, and and this is where it goes wrong for people. It, it, it's, it, it's a bleed over of the previous trade into the next trade, into the next trade, and that can snowball very badly into you know, a really catastrophic situation where you dust yourself up you know, pretty badly. You've seen it happen.
1: Absolutely, and one of the things they actually taught me at uni that I've remembered, funnily enough, <laughs> is a thing called representative bias, where it's where your past performance on one trade hmm. is used to justify your next trade you think about it, in reality, they've got no relation to each other. They're different businesses, different stocks, different time in the market, yet people still get them confused. Mm-hmm. What I want to ask you, and just a bit of a fun thing, a bit of a case study, what are the five biggest mistakes that traders make in relation to this emotional type mm-hmm. situation?
0: I think that full sense of security and confidence is a huge one. And, and one of the approaches that we've taken uh, with our clients, and, and, and look, depending on whether you're looking at this as a short-term or long-term Short-term, the methodology we take with our clients costs us a lot of money commercially, but long-term, it reaps huge dividends because we have people successful over the long-term. What I mean by that is, you know, we want people transacting in a small level, that means small brokerage fees, but we want them to trade small for a period of time while they build that confidence up. Why? Because it's absolutely rock solid confidence that they're taking in and as they grow, they can then start to handle a little bit more pressure, a little bit more dollars in the marketplace. I've seen other companies out there that have uh, hit people up pretty hard starts, you mean to go on and put in a big amount of money and, and, and it works for them in the early terms in terms of the turnover maybe in their brokerage, but the client blows up and they've lost their confidence down the track. So getting that whole process under control right at the get-go of, of, of when you start, starting small is key, and not letting your confidence overshoot uh, what your competence actually is. You know, sometimes, and this is a dreadful thing to say, and I'll say it on air, sometimes I almost wish that people's first trade was a losing trade. Uh, I know mine was, and I think the mine was. Too was yours. And it gives you that heightened state of, reality as to what can go wrong.
1: This is serious. Whereas if you have a win,
0: win, win and win, all of a sudden you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof and, and, and oh, we'll put more money and we've got this one by the scruff of the neck and all of a sudden things can unravel because you haven't had a knock to, to have to get back up off the canvas and deal with and, and haven't had that sort of psychology tested in, in that kind of context. So biggest mistake off the bat, people's confidence goes way past their competence. And we see this across all asset classes, not just simply in the stock market. You know, you've got people that live in certain cities that may have bought a you know a, 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 a inner city house in the inner west for you know a million, million and a half, seven years ago, it's now worth three million bucks, and all of a sudden they believe they're property gurus and it just happened to be pure luck and suburb at the right time but their confidence is way past that. You get somebody in the stock market that maybe gets onto a really nice trade and all of a sudden they think that they're Warren Buffett. There is more to it than this. So confidence and competence, the first one. Um, Second one, I think, um, is as you become more mature in your trading journey, to start to believe that you've got um, an intuition and a feel, a gut feel for markets. Um, Trading is a mechanical process, full stop. Your job is to arrive at your trading decision in the most unemotional way you can to be the most objective and to see it for what it is. And sometimes I think um, you know, people will, after a period of time, depart from their trading plan. Oh, the, the trading plan is when you put your P-plates on. I'm, I'm passive. I've been doing this for two years now. The trading plan is the most instrumental thing you'll have day in and day out for the duration of your trading career. And the chances are, as soon as you don't have that trading plan, your trading career is over, not because you've retired, but because you've blown your account up. I think those two things, you know, would be the massive standouts. Number three is trying to be a generalist and and, and know everything about markets. And and often when people find out what I actually do, um, you know, from a trading perspective, I didn't realise you're in the stock market, you trade. You know, what do you think of this company? Well, I don't know. And, and they're just like, Well, aren't you supposed to be an expert on that? And it's like, no. No,
1: you've got to carve your niche. Yeah.
0: But you're a trader in the stock market, so why don't you know it's well? Like, oh, I know everything I need to know about the niche I'm in and I don't care about anything else. That's why I get paid a lot of money for operating in my niche because that's where I am. And so I think you know, people often feel that they've got to learn more than is necessary or take their knowledge much, much broader to be all things stock market. You know, people ask me, what do you think of this IPO? I don't do IPOs. This is my thing. You know, and, and, and so concentrate and focus. You know, it's an interesting one. If you think about a, a, a fox and a hedgehog, Oh, suppose, wow. Okay. Yeah, two different things. Um, now, a fox has got lots and lots of clever ways to avoid getting caught. A hedgehog's got one, but you try picking a hedgehog up when it doesn't want to be picked up. You can't. So master that niche that you have and you'll make far more than someone that's very general. So that's the third thing I'd say is be very, very specific as to where you operate and become very, very good. at. It. Experts get paid a lot of money. Generals get paid nothing. Beyond mm-hmm. there... Um, I think risk management is one that's missing for most people in that they don't understand the importance of stop losses uh, or they, oh, I'll write it down that I've got a stop, but I won't put it in the marketplace. And unfortunately- Put it in. Yeah, you've got to put it in and put it in using the technology, the order pad that we use. um, And it's there and you can forget about it. You can go to bed, you know, you've got the peace of mind of knowing that there's a stop there that's in place. Whereas if you've written down on a bit of paper, if, if ANZ hits $15, I'll get out, you turn your screen on the next day, oh my God, it's $14.30. Uh, oh, it'll bounce back. It'll be. back. It'll, okay. be, it'll, it'll, it'll be bounce back. It'll be so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not worry about the stop today. We'll give it time to bounce back. We'll and, see what it's like tomorrow. And then you've just made that transition from managing your money to actually managing your emotions, which are two different things. You know, you can be right or you can be rich and not the same. This is about being objective, about managing your money. And a stop is absolutely, unequivocally, non-negotiable, must-have. And people that are new to markets, and in fact, sometimes when people get quite experienced, Again, I've outgrown stocks. You'll never outgrow them. They're the most important thing (laughs) in your trading arsenal. I can say that from brutal experience. Um, You know, this correction that we've seen over recent weeks with the coronavirus, not the first one I've been through. You know, I've traded through the GFC. I traded through the dot-com boom and bust. uh, I traded through uh, the European and Asian currency crisis in 98, and even when the pound uh, dropped out of the exchange rate mechanism in the UK in 94. And so... Yeah, it's not the first time I've been in these volatile conditions. And the time I did myself probably uh, the most damage was during the dot-com boom and bust. Uh, and I remember I had some options running on the NASDAQ as it started. Oh, wow. So I was really geared into that. And so I know firsthand how expensive it can be um, by knowing better because you've been doing this for a while. You must and always must continue with that trading plan and particularly with that stop loss. Absolutely. And then I suppose on the other side of managing risk, the third thing is to have an exit strategy in mind. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, it's it's funny you sort of think to all the different experiences that you have in life and, you know, another aspect of our business, what I do, I do an awful lot of public speaking, as you know, I've had the chance to speak alongside some, you know, incredible titans in that space. People like Tony Robbins, Richard Branson, Robert Kiyosaki, Tony Blair, Mike Tyson. Wow. Um, But one that was really interesting was Mike Boris. Um, yeah, you know, Mark's obviously famous for what he's done in the home loan space and then into Yellow Brick Road. And I remember before I met him, I wasn't, I don't know if I was, I, I didn't really understand him. I thought, you know, I didn't know what motivated him. And I spent a bit of time in his company and, and, and I sort of had a 180 view. And it's quite interesting when you actually talk to these people. You know, and the great thing about being a speaker at that sort of level is that most of the core information, what the audience gets in an auditorium with five, six thousand people in there is fantastic stuff but the real juice is actually in the green room out the back when all the speakers are chatting so what are you doing in your business and it's that I reckon if I look back over my career what you talk about there is probably about 8 months ahead of what goes on in the real world Wow! and I remember talking to Mark um, in terms of business he said the key thing before you start a business is you have to work out what your exit strategy is now when you really think about it most people are busy about logos and names and all of this sort of stuff he's got that helicopter view which is why he's been such a terrifically successful businessman and delivered amazing value in what he's done. And look, we don't have an affiliation with them, but it's someone I've got an enormous amount of respect for sure. what he's done. Uh, and that notion that have your eye on what you're doing this for. What's your exit? So when you're getting into a trade, most people do their work on what am I going to buy? They don't do the work on how am I getting out. Absolutely. Like for the stop, as we've already talked about, the stop loss, or whether it's for a profit. So I think having that... Um, Game plan in play, look, if this happens, then this is my strategy, or if this happens, this is my strategy, can be quite helpful because yeah, if we look at an example of something like Afterpay in, in the recent market, and we've had clients in that, we've advised a lot of them on it too. Yeah, here's a stock that's gone from $2.50 to $41 in two and a half years, and then down to $9 the other day, and currently at about Crazy. today. You know, the volatility is, is bonkers. The question is, if you bought in at two dollars fifty, when do you get out? Okay, if you got out at five and it's at twenty, you'd be pretty upset. But you could you could average out. And you can sell tranches on the way out. You have to have a game plan because if you don't and you go, I'll just hold on until I feel like selling it, you're never going to feel like selling it. And now it's been as high as forty one dollars. I can almost guarantee. That you won't want to sell it for less than $41 because that's what you now believe it's worth, which is going back to what you explained from your university studies. Once you've done something, that's the outcome. Absolutely, That's what you expect. So now you're in a stock that's half of that price. What are you going to do? And all of that came about because you didn't have a game plan in mind. And I know this sounds so contrived where you're sort of strategizing and you're playing chess. And doing, It's so simple. Absolutely. But you've got to do the work on it first before there's any of this emotion of owning the stock.
1: I mean, you think about it, and just to put it into layman's terms, it's like the way you describe it, which I've heard you say so many times, I'm almost sick of it, is the, the wet rag. It's mm-hmm. like you've got a wet rag, you squeeze it, and the water comes out. You know, you get the easy stuff out because mm-hmm. the harder you have to work for it, the less you're getting. Having that profit taker there, for example, that closes you out of the trade at a level you're happy with yep. is, is where it's at. The key
0: thing, and that, that's exactly right, I think, you know, the, the, the key thing that sits behind all of this, and seeing as we're talking psychology, Um, let's get into that right now very briefly. Um, There's something called the endowment effect. When you own something, you value it differently. So, you know, if you think about, and for anyone listening to this um, podcast... You think about it. You might have a, a coffee cup at work that's yours, and if so, it, it, it's in the canteen, anyone can use it. But if, if it, it's yours, and if somebody else uses it, you get a bit annoyed. Maybe it's in your office and it's got some really nasty stains in it. There's probably a fire hazard, <laughs> but it's your thing. You like it. Sure. Or maybe you've got an old pair of Ugg boots at home that you know they're your go-to's when you want to feel really comfy around the house, and you go around in your sloppy Joe or your jogging bottoms and your Ugg boots. They make you feel good. Or maybe you've got a couple of footy jerseys. And I know you. Oh, so I've got have plenty of those. So the difference is, you see, if I put on my footy jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> They're really them in all the wrong places. Whereas at least yours are tight and right. But, but I can't throw them away because they have that sentimental value. Now, yeah, you know, I stopped playing footy a while ago, but I still have those jerseys, and I can't imagine a circumstance where I'd want to throw them out. Now, I'm not a hugely emotional person, but they've got me. They've they've got me because of that emotional absolutely. Vibe. Trading and investing is just the same. As soon as you own something that baggage of the endowment effect will come along and you start to see your stock differently because you own it. And that's why it's so important to make your decisions on what you're going to get, when you're going to get in, when you're going to take profit, or if it goes wrong, where you're going to cut your loss before you start. And that's what a trading plan does. Absolutely. If you want to be successful in investing, I'm not just talking about trading, whether it's in property, or whether it's in other asset classes, you have to have a plan laid out before you start and to go back to Mark Boris, have an exit strategy in mind before you hit the go button. And it makes so much sense when you put it in that context. So there's some of the pitfalls that I see people falling into. And the worst of it, Mitch, is they're so easily fixed. But guess what? When you want to teach someone how to invest, all they want to focus on is the mechanics, and don't worry about the woo-woo stuff in the background.
1: It's it's so prominent, and uh, and I guess you know you and I spend so much time managing this stuff each and every day. I mean, how many times do we have a call from a client? Should I close out of this? Mm. I mean, do, do I take the profit on this? It's like take the profit, yeah. Get the easy money out of there and and have fun, enjoy, celebrate, pop a bo- pop a bottle of wine open. Exactly right.
0: I and, think so, you know that 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 the whole notion of backing yourself takes time to build up, Uh, and most people uh, have got a voice on their shoulder from time to time, which makes them second guess. Uh, And the whole idea, I'm not talking about being schizophrenic, but I'm just talking about (laughs) that that, that nagging conversation that you have in your mind sometimes. And, And the way to eliminate that, to clear that doubt, is to have a plan and be resolute in the execution of that plan. And once you've got that, all of a sudden, you're not getting in the car and screeching off and carving people up at the lights you're driving like Miss Daisy day in and day Wow. In. And that's how you don't get points on your license. I can't comment on that. <laughs> I certainly can, but I can't comment on that. But that's that's how it works. It's about emotional control and that notion of, yeah. You know, when we talk about the personal development space, it's not learning how to trade, it's learning how to be a good trader. Absolutely. You can learn to trade. Simple. But can you be a good trader? And that requires that work on yourself to present the best version of you that's there.
1: Wow. And I'm almost feeling already more inspired. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Um, look, what I want to do is that that's, that's a great overview. and I really thank you very much for that insight. Let's put a ribbon around that as we always do mm. and go into that final last couple of tips, a call to action to people who maybe have struggled with their emotional control in the past, who mm. maybe are new to the stock market and are worrying about that. Mm. What would be your advice?
0: It's, it's something that's going to be very hard to work out on your own, so tap into a support network. We've got a whole bunch of resources, and I don't mean this to turn into a plug for what we do. That's not the purpose of this, but there's a whole bunch of resources that we can certainly help people through. Australian investment education, or investment business education business. Um, you know, There are a lot of books in this space, and I've, I've done a lot of work with several of the people, and there's some really, really great material out there. If you look at Brett Steinberger's work, for example, if your mum and dad that's not for you, that's for higher end people that are doing this for a living. There's some terrific stuff in there and that the Brett just has his niche which is trading psychology and he's probably, in my opinion, one of the best people on the planet to go to in that wow. space, okay. but it's not written in an accessible way. So we kind of dilute that down as you know and make it meat and potatoes and, and more practically applicable as we've kicked the can around with this. So get some get some skills on the emotional control on the psychological side. Um, and that will help you with the mechanical side infinitely. Anyone can learn the mechanics, only... A select few people have that emotional control to perfectly discharge the mechanics every time. Secondly, avoid those five pitfalls that we talked about. So you know, don't let your confidence overshoot what you're doing, Um, making sure that you always have a plan, having an exit strategy in mind before you get in, having an exit strategy for where you're going to take profit, and most importantly, being as objective as you can with that plan on the way through. They will be my big two takeaways for people. And don't overthink this. It's not that hard. One of the easiest and simplest things you can do is just like you've got written here is start journaling and, you know, talk about your trades or talk about the market. And, I, and I've done a lot of one-on-one work with some very, very high-end traders on this. And this is absolutely fascinating. You know, some people are writers and some aren't. You go, okay, write me down, you know, what was the decision-making? And then I get them to scan and send to me every day when I'm coaching them to go through and look at how they were approaching their decision-making. But a better way of doing it is actually just to do a voice memo. And when you're analysing or, or, or talking about your trade, actually record the conversation, the dialogue that you're happening and you'll be blown away at how mad you sound. When Absolutely, you go and listen to it when you're in a yeah. non-emotional state. Like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? My mind there. My you know, and, and also the language and the advantage to, to writing it rather than typing it. A lot of people these days, everything is, 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 is electronic. The advantage to writing it is that you tend to, when you type, you have a filter. You're not going to type a swear word because typically you don't type swear words. But if you're doing an audio on it, you just writing it down getting that raw emotion of the swear word you know this effing market or whatever it might be it conveys exactly where your headspace was at when you made that trade no wonder it didn't work out but you only get that when you're unable to unlock that box of being able to get inside what was going on with someone and we do that as i say with a lot of our land clients because that sort of stuff with, which is Fascinating.
1: Absolutely, and just listening to that now, I'm gonna try it myself, I've never done that, I'm gonna go and record my next trade, maybe I'll go and make one now.
0: Yeah, for sure, good thing to do, and you'll just just find that all the time, it's about self-improvement, tightening the nuts and bolts, keeping focused, eliminating the fluff, but most importantly being laser precision, discharging that mechanical process with total emotional control is how you make big dollars in this game and that's what we help people do.
1: Absolutely, and I think it's a notion that can either make you or break you. So AB, thank you very much. We're at the end of the broadcast. I really appreciate your advice and there's so many good lessons out there for our viewers. So once again, absolute pleasure. Anytime.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed that show. Certainly a lot of ground covered. Please do make sure you leave a review or give us a rating. It's very important to get make sure that we're on point with our content. Look forward to seeing those come through.